The Full Exposure Podcast is made possible by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn in appreciation for the contributions that artists and creative minds provide to our community. Arts and culture are essential to a rich and rewarding life, strengthening our overall well-being and our appreciation of all that we see, hear, and experience. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. This is the podcast where I invite a guest to my studio in Grand Rapids, Michigan. The first thing we do is I create a portrait of that person via photography. And then after that portrait session is finished, we sit down and have a conversation about whatever we want. And my guest today is Rick Beerhorst. He's a renowned painter. Uh, one of the best, uh, for sure, that I've ever seen and uh, have had the pleasure of knowing. And Rick arrived at my studio a little bit differently than any other guest that I have had to this point. He arrived with a black eye. And a black eye is not something that you normally see on an adult, you know? Uh, it's pretty rare. And... Um, it was kind of the elephant in the room for the first minute or two that he was here at the studio. And I, and I was like, I know he knows that I see he has a black eye. He knows he has a black eye. So I'm just going to ask him, Rick, what happened to your eye? And then uh, selfishly, uh, I quickly realized that uh, I just said to him, I go, oh, wait, Rick, wait, don't tell me now. Save the story for the podcast. And so... We did the portrait session. Uh, amazing portraits of him, by the way. I'm always very inspired to shoot Rick. He's he's a he's a great to collaborate with. He he paints a lot of portraits himself, so he really gives a lot during sessions and um, is just a joy to photograph. But um, it turns out, as you'll hear in the podcast, a few uh, maybe a week or so earlier, Rick had gotten his uh, ass kicked, as he says in a violent altercation at 2.30 a.m. near the downtown dumpster where he was throwing away roughly $700,000 worth of his uh, paintings and sketches, basically the majority of his paintings, his inventory. Um, he had rather quickly decided to destroy that inventory with a box cutter and a table saw. Suffice it to say that uh, Rick and I have an awful lot to unpack in this episode. Uh, he's a fascinating person. I don't know anyone quite like Rick Beerhorst. Um, I've known Rick for a long time, probably, I don't even know, probably 12 years, maybe 15 years or more. I don't really know how I met Rick the first time. It doesn't really matter. He's just been part of the ether of Grand Rapids and the artistic scene in West Michigan. And... Um, he, he is, in my opinion, one of the most talented painters that Michigan has ever produced. He's also complicated, and Rick is a survivor. He's battled through periods of intense poverty, depression. He suffered mania. His 29-year uh, marriage dissolved a few years ago. And now, after a period of intense self-reflection and meditation, Rick has fully rededicated himself to his art and artistic career. Even so, shortly after this episode was recorded, Rick embarked for Europe. He left Michigan and is now living in Paris, where he is painting, reading, and writing. 
this is an incredible episode. I, um, because Rick has been um, very open um, about his battles with depression and um, and uh, bipolar, uh, being bipolar, although I did call him and I said, uh, we FaceTime from Europe. And uh, I was prepping this episode and I just thought, I want to touch base with him. I want to make sure he's okay with how I characterize uh, his, his b- battle. And... Um, He's really, uh, he's okay with that, and he's, uh, but he's really not trying to be um, defined by um, that struggle that he, that he has. He's dedicated himself to a life of meditation and self-improvement, and he feels that he's passed a lot of his um, issues that had been more intense in the last few years. And so, because Rick's a friend, I, I took an extra moment to to reach out to him just before I recorded this uh, intro, just to uh, say, hey, man, um, I want to talk about this. I want to tee it up for the audience, but um, I want to make sure you're okay with that. And Rick was. So, um, you know, there's nothing more to say except listen intensely. This was a, a, a roller coaster interview. Rick is full of energy, full of enthusiasm. And again, is unlike anybody that I know, and is someone that I respect as an artist, and uh, I certainly respect his passion and drive for success. So let's sit back, let's enjoy this episode, let's explore the bigger picture with painter and artist Rick Beerhorst. Thanks for coming in, man. You've yeah. been uh, hard, not hard to track down necessarily, but you've been out of country for a while. I have been, yeah. And then you're going to, I heard you're leaving again leaving. soon, different yeah. country. Yeah, yeah. But let's start, we'll get to that. Okay. All right, so uh, I, you arrived, and I was, I didn't know what you would wear, but I was, I was very anticipating. We've done some portraits in the past, mm-hmm. and I've loved every one of them. There's mm-hmm. something that you... Uh, you bring, I think, because you're a portraitist, you you understand and sort of intuitively mm-hmm. what sort of what sort of mood or just your posturing that makes sense for mm-hmm. photographs. And we've yeah. done some really some portraits in the past that I have really uh, still look back on with great uh, affection. Yeah. And uh, but you arrived today and didn't know what you would wear, didn't know anything, didn't ask. But you arrived uh, wearing black, but also a, a, a black eye. Yes, yes. So I was, uh, it's purplish now. Yeah, it was very yellow. It's interesting, you know, we call them black eyes, but really purple-yellow yeah. is more accurate. <laughs> um, yeah, so... so yeah, uh, so, what, so what happened? Okay, well, a couple things. Um, a lot of things led up to that black eye. There's some, there's a, a guy they called... They used to call him the $50 million man. Now I think they call him the $50 billion man. Now they call him the trillion dollar man. His, his name is Dan Pena. And he's um, become kind of a, I would say, sort of the ultra alpha male for the entrepreneurial crowd. Okay. And he's got this castle in Scotland. And he grew up in like East LA and he was a bad boy. He 
you know, he's got this whole story about how he tried, you know, he tried to kill his teacher in fourth grade oh, and wow. almost did. And his dad was a police officer and yada, yada. Anyway, he's a, he's a tough guy. And he, he calls, you know, he calls all the guys, you know, kids and he calls them meatheads and cunts and, you know, candy asses. He uses that kind of language. Still today. Yeah. 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 Okay. And politically incorrect sure. all the way. Yeah. And um, he's like, how many of you been in a fist fight, a street fight? None of you. You know, that's the way he talks. Yeah. And so that that got into my subconscious, right? <laughs> so the other piece of this was I just destroyed about 90% of my art inventory. So we're talking maybe $750,000 worth of work I destroyed. Well, and uh, All right, we're, we're going to pin that and come back to that because I, I <laughs> definitely want to talk to you about that. But let's go on with the story, but we're going to pin on you destroying 90% of your art. Yeah, so I've so. got canvases, I've got painting on panels, and um, I toss what I can fit into the back of my 2001 Toyota Celica. And this is 2.30 in the morning on Division Street, which you know is a shithole neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm back in, and I'm tossing stuff in a dumpster, and I hear this, hey, what are you putting in our dumpster, man? And I'm like, it's none of your fucking business what I'm putting in the dumpster. You know, I've got, actually, I've got permission from the building manager, so I'm, yeah. but I've got, I'm mouthy, you yeah. know? And I'm also, You're sort guess, of irritated with the Yeah, question. I'm irritated. With and the I'm, authority of whoever this person is. Yeah, they have no authority to question me, Rick Beerhorst. <laughs> do you not know who I am? Anyway, so it's like, what did you just say? I said, it's none of your fucking business. You want a piece of this? Yeah, and he, next thing I know, it was like getting hit by lightning. Like, I came at him, and he, it was just like boom, 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 boom. And I was on the ground. My glasses were gone. My hat was off, and I was bleeding. And I didn't know if my glasses were shoved into my eye oh. or what. Because it was just like, yeah, it was like getting hit by lightning. He was so fast. And then he got in the car, and they drove off. Drove with your car? No, with their car. Oh, they were it. in a car. Got it. My car's sitting there idling. And I was like, damn. That was quick. Wow. That was kind of amazing. It was kind of amazing. So I went and I found this this woman I knew who was a nurse. You know, I knock on her door. Now it's like three in the morning. I wake her up and she looks at it. And she's like, I don't think you need stitches, but what happened exactly? <laughs> you know? Wow. So, you know, she cuddles me a little bit. I, you know, we clean it up. I go home and I'm like, wow, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> But what made you, it sounded like you escalated, like right off the yeah, bat. Yeah, well, you know, I think, you know, and I thought about this a lot, obviously, and I had some anger. I have, I've, I've been processing some anger. And part of the anger is um, I've wasted so much time in my life. Hmm. I've wasted time doing things that didn't work. I, I um, you know, sort of like owning failure. Like there's one thing where you... You make mistakes and you put it off on other people. Well, like, you know, he didn't get me or she was just a bitch and she, you know, but sure. where you start to actually own it and like, man, I screwed up. Right. Like that was, and so, and some of that is, you know, consternation and, and anger and, and so, and it just had to get through me. And, you know, it's interesting because we say like I had my clock cleaned or I had the shit kicked out of me. Mm -hmm. I felt like when I got off the pavement, it was like there was less shit in me, hmm. you know? It's like I didn't do the, the dance with cancer, you right. know, like people I've known have. But it was like, yeah, like shit something is cathartic gotten, about it. Yeah, it was cathartic. It was. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I find that unusual 
In the best way, Rick. That's unusual. It's unusual. But you know, I used to I used to pick fights when I was a kid. Yeah. From the time I was like eight or nine years old up until John Gleason did what that guy did that night. Um, I was picking this fight with John, and I was we were in middle school. Uh, I think I was in eighth grade, and uh, finally John, who was being patient with me, we were walking home, and then he just like he just yeah beat the crap out of me. And that was like the last fight I picked. And I've never been right. a good boxer. Right. And uh, I was more like wrestle him down, you know. Right, right. Go for the middle. And um, <laughs> you'd be a great UFC fighter. Yeah, I think just get him to the mat. Yep. It's over. Yep. That's got to be my strategy. That's called the beer horse move. Yeah. That's the, yeah. Don't give him the beer horse, man. <laughs> Can you just hurt him. No, but there is yeah. there is something about getting desperate. You know, getting desperate for change. And I'm not like saying you know, be a jerk, shoot your mouth up, and get beat up. Like, I'm not, it's, right. you know, suggesting that for anybody, and I'm not going to do that again soon, I don't yeah. think. Um, well, it sounds like it was a reactionary thing that allowed you to process some things, and yeah. also, I, I think a, a gut check, and I don't want to speak into it, because you're not, I, I didn't experience that, but, like, you have that, um, okay, what just happened? Now you have to process what happened, mm-hmm. and why did I why did I react yeah. that way? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Oh, yeah. I am actually angry about yeah. some things. I got some stuff brewing, right, right. And then to come away from it feeling cathartic and unfortunately not injured more. Yeah, no, you know? I was lucky. I mean, yeah, I thought about it. He could have killed me. You know, he could have kicked me and broken some ribs. Sure. Really could have got into it. And he was pretty merciful. Really, he's like yeah. put me down. And then drove off. Right. And um, but yeah, I think there's things that that I've been processing. You know, I mean, I got divorced after 29 years, mm-hmm. and it sort of you know had built a brand around my family. You know, we right. pull in the Wonder Wagon. It's all your all your kids' artists. You know, they ask, yeah, and sure. you homeschool them, and you got chickens here. And and, and I mm-hmm. just kind of blew that up. You know, when yeah. I got you know I ended the marriage and walked away, and you know, in a sense, you know that overused phrase of reinventing myself so Mm -hmm. I mean a lot you know a lot of shit's gotten real over the past few years yeah yeah I'm wondering through that process if you felt um you don't have to speak about it directly or anything Mm -hmm. but just through that process of your your marriage breaking up and Mm -hmm. you have you felt more Isolated? Is it something that you needed to be isolated? Because you have a large family. You have a lot. How many yeah, kids? Six, six, six kids. Six kids. And yeah, the kids didn't go to school. So, you know, it was like a, uh, you know, I made jokes like we had created our own cult or something. But yeah, there was people around all the time, kids yeah. and visitors, and then people that would come and live with us, you know, young creatives. Sure. And, and I loved it. I loved that. And But I also in a sense, kind of lost myself in that, too. And so I've just finished a book called When the Heart Waits. And uh, I, I can't remember the author's name, but she draws on this pair, uh, on this metaphor of the caterpillar spinning a chrysalis. Mm-hmm. And I really, especially I would say, since I've the past three months has been a lot of isolation. Because when I came out of my marriage, there was a lot, uh, I got on what I would say kind of a romance carousel. You know, it was like romance after romance, some stacking romances. And that was, you know, it was a lot of fun um, for a period of time. But then, you know, I I kind of came to through that. And then as that closed down, I really, really isolated. So, you know, got off Facebook 
got off Instagram, shut my my Etsy shop down, which I had done for 12 years. This I, is just the last like three months. Yeah, yeah, changed my phone number. So right. very few people have my phone number. So really built this chrysalis and went in inside and you know start I bought a bible I didn't have I haven't had a bible for two and a half years and this is interesting too because I started from the beginning reading and God, God is a badass motherfucker because what does he do he looks at his creation it's like damn and he he's gonna do this flood he pulls Noah's side look this is what we're gonna do build a boat and you get your son in it you know mm-hmm. he's got this inside thing and then he just Blood. He just like wipes a slate clean, which is in a sense what I did with my artwork, with my mm-hmm. art inventory. Yeah, I know I'm going to Paris. Well, let's only... go back. Do you mind? Let's. That, that, you brought up art inventory again. Yeah. So let's just set that up. So you're a prolific painter. Mm-hmm. You create amazing portraits, uh, conceptual portraits. Mm-hmm. Uh, you use portraiture in a way that I've always loved. I've loved your work I love your cityscapes too but your portraiture is something that I just I think it's because my particular perspective sure, sure. is just uh, right where it's at but I um, I'm trying to wrap my head around you throwing your work in a dumpster mm-hmm. yeah I'm trying like that's hard for me to understand yeah because I couldn't know that uh, it's either brave or the the least wise move I've ever heard of. Yeah. It's either Outside be like, of suicide? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you did sort of, uh, you did sort of wipe out an, an era because I know how hard you work on those paintings. Mm-hmm. It yeah. isn't like they, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, it's, you're not a Picasso on a napkin and then just like they right. go off into the world. Like, right. you know, there's so much detail and yeah. Yeah. amazing process. Yeah. So, what is the mindset the last two or three months where you get to a point where you're like, you know what, I think I don't want 90% of my work right, even right, to exist right. on the planet anymore? Right. Well, part of it is, you know, that there are pieces in private collections and public collections all over the world at this point. Sure. Because I've been painting, you know. Yeah, this was your. This is what you like. What you've this been was, working. This is this unsold is, material. This is unsold material that I had in my own personal inventory, and I've also been uh, experimenting a lot with a lot of different things. So, you know, like Pixar. You know, we see the films that get released, but there's a lot of films that will never be released because they weren't good enough. And, um, you know, there was. There was also, you know, this idea of the remnant, like after, you know, you mentioned the portraits, like I, I think that's what I'm best at. That's my best work. It's not just because you're a portrait photographer. No, I agree. I think, I that think it's, it's, it's the, it's the best work I have. And so as I'm, as I'm, you know, I'm spending a lot of time listening to people like Zig Ziglar, Jim Rowan, Les Hill, Dan Pena, um, uh, John Maxwell, you know, these are people that get paid a lot of money to do, you know, Tony Robbins to speak. They're, you know, motivational speakers, uh, from, you know, uh, and, um, and as I've been listening and also reading their books, because I've read a couple of Tony's books now, you know, it's like, what makes a high achiever? And one of the things Tony says is massive action. If you want to change your life, you need to take massive action. Mm-hmm. So, the destroying my work was a really brave move. It was a calculated move. And part of it was economics. Because when 
you know, diamonds are costly because there's not many of them. And right now in my studio, it's like the supermodels. It's just right. the supermodels, just the all-star team. And that's really so. Exciting. How do you physically? What is the choice that manifests when you actually go to destroy or discard? Of did they just go in wholly into a dumpster? No, or I took a razor blade them? to the canvases. I shredded them because I would have been look. I will go leave right now <laughs> yeah. and go to the landfill and try to find them. Yeah, and then I took my circular saw. It was very dramatic. <laughs> into all the panels. What did you feel like doing that? Oh, God, it was exhilarating. It was really exhilarating. And that's why I think when I was actually pitching stuff and he was like, hey, man, what are you doing? I was just like, I had just, you know, I was like, you messing with me? You talking to me? Right. I was, I was like a mad mother gorilla. Right. It's like, you talking? I mean, yeah, I got the shit kicked out of me, but I was like ready to kill him. Right. Because I, yeah, it was, it was like an altered state. That's amazing. But um, there was a famous photographer from, there was Edward Weston and his son, Brett Weston, mm -hmm. who was a prolific, very famous photographer himself. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Shot eight by 10 negatives. Wow. And he lived, he was living in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And one night he had friends over and he got a barrel and he just one by one burned his negatives. Wow. And people were like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And it was later in his life. And I don't really know the, uh, uh, the exact reason why he did, but it was, I'm assuredly, uh, there was something cathartic he was looking for. Yeah. Or he felt like a, an imposter of some kind. Uh, Maybe because of his father. father living in his father's being shadow. So, but, so, okay, how do you decide, what makes you decide to keep or discard or destroy? You know, <clears throat> it was really like, and I've been really practicing this, because one of the things that high achievers do, people that are like the billionaire type people, is they don't like, ah, oh, should I? They're just like, yeah, buy it. Do it. Fire them. You know, they're very decisive. They practice that. It's like, uh, it's like an NBA player, you know? It's like they, it becomes instinctual and they practice that, that shooting from the hip. And I've been really working on that. Um, I just booked my, um, I just booked a place in Germany this morning and, and I was like, wow, I did that fast. I should have looked at all the different, it's just like, no, this is that, 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 um, make mm -hmm. the decision quick. Um, you know, I, I remember reading, I think it was the book Blink maybe, um, where Firefighters are like, do I go down this hallway or that hallway? It's like, yep, this one. And all of a sudden, that one caves in. And he makes that right decision over and over and over. And how did he know? It was just instinctual? Was it, mm -hmm. you know, the Holy Spirit? That one, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, it depends how mystical mm -hmm. you are. Right. But, um, yeah, I just sort of like, yeah. yeah, keep this one, this one, no, this one, no. So just knowing your work, did you, because you were talking about being port, uh, uh, portraiture being what you're mm -hmm. best at. Yeah. Were a lot of the cityscapes and yeah. that sort of work? Yeah, I did the, make it. And the, most of the work that I did at that big UICA show uh, two years ago, it's gone. But those were portrait-based. They were portrait-based, but they were... It was just not the kind of work that I wanted to continue with. Mm -hmm. And And again, you know, I'm relocating, so I am in conference right now with a local um, businessman who we're talking about how, 
what pieces there are some pieces I'm going to leave behind and he's going to be in charge of my sort mm -hmm. of legacy I'm leaving here sure. and I'm going to Europe and I don't have the intention of coming back hmm. at least not anytime soon you know so when you say Europe what does that define geography for Paris you? So Paris. Going Paris yeah I'm going have to you Paris. lived in Paris before? I have not I've never been to France <laughs> okay right so let's just reset you've destroyed your paintings uh -huh. you got in a fist fight mm -hmm. uh, while you were throwing those in a dumpster, mm -hmm. someone confronted you mm -hmm. about what are you doing with that dumpster. Yeah. And you came at him mm -hmm. and got in a fight that you lost, but it was cathartic. Yes. And again, 90% of your inventory is in that dumpster mm -hmm. of a past art, mm -hmm. unsold art. Mm -hmm. Then uh, you've decided how to continue as an artist. Mm -hmm focus more on portraiture mm -hmm. and now you're moving to France mm -hmm. but you've never been to France no you've never been to Paris <laughs> no <laughs> so this decisiveness is taking taking quite a uh a, a, an active role like it's yeah. manifest itself yeah. right yeah so why Paris I mean obviously that's the great art uh City well, of artists. Well, in a sense, it, it it was it was in the 1920s. You know those stories yeah, about when to, Hemingway and they yeah. were all young. I meant to like yeah, in the romantic sort of sense of the arts, it's the place where this bohemian like birthed all this yeah. stuff in the 18th, 19th, and 20th century. Right. But what's interesting is it's queuing up to have that role again to really be one of the most important art centers of the world. And I'm really excited about that. There's some really great things going on there. And, you know, I spent six of the last, six months of the last 12 in, in Germany, in Bavaria, southern Germany. And um, I really dig Germany, <clears throat> and I feel a certain comfortable factor. Mm -hmm. But when I thought of it, like, where do I want to be? Where do I really want to be? And as I was, you know, looking at important art cities, Paris just, you know, I could feel it's like that game, you know. Oh, you're getting cold. Oh, you're oh, you're burning up now, you know. And I just felt that. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people would be paralyzed that, by that idea because if you're able to go to any city in the world and you are untethered uh, from having to bring somebody, mm -hmm. I don't know where I would choose. Actually, I do know what I would choose. Where would you but choose? I would go to Madrid. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but. And I would visit That's different you. than I can go visit there. But that's a place I've been and I know very, very, very well. Okay. Okay, uh -huh. so to pull and go to like, okay, I'm going to move to um, New Delhi. Yeah. Or uh, whatever. Or Tokyo. Well, you know, one of the things I did learn about being married all that time, and I'm not a quitter, you know. I mean, it was like 29 years sure. to make that work. And there was, there was a time it did work, I would say. But... There's something about commitment. There's something about marrying um, an idea or a place where you, because you know, as, as you get older, that you're going to have shitty days. You know, you're going to have mm -hmm. where it's like, man, I hate this place or I hate this person. <laughs> driving me crazy. Sure. But it's that commitment that you made where it's like, you know, I pounded my tent stakes in here and this is a rough day, but we're going to get through this and we're going to mm -hmm. get to something better on the other side. And so I made that commitment to um, this city that I've never been to, you mm. know, which, is, yeah, it's a, it's a leap of faith. 
So where I'm just I'm so, so fascinated with this process. So mm-hmm. where do you know where you're going to live yet in the city? Or well, I have. I've already. I already. Um, yeah, I paid for a place, uh, Airbnb. Um, I couldn't tell you the address, but right. it's pretty central and it's close to the Sun, mm-hmm. and it's a really nice neighborhood. So it's it's a beautiful apartment. So I I kind of shot the moon here and got a nice place, not sure. just a cheap old place. Right. Right. Well, I was just, I'd never been to Paris until this spring, and I oh. went with my daughter Hannah. We went on a little trip. We went to Paris for like two quick days, and then we went down to Madrid uh-huh. uh, for like nine. And uh, I was blown away by Paris. Like, really? that is a place that you hear about your whole life. People say it's amazing. Yeah. And I've had places where I've gone in the world sometimes where you, it's sort of built up in your mind before you get there. And yeah. then you're like, well, I don't really. Isn't that good? <laughs> Paris was that great times wow. even more for me. Wow. Like the architecture. Yeah. The light. Yeah, you're yeah. going to love the light, dude. Yeah. I mean, well, that's a and the museums. I mean, the art that's in the museums there. You know, so here I go to the Graham, you know, yeah. and, you know, with all due respect, it's a very humble permanent collection. Yeah. Very humble. Yeah. And, you know, to, to have access to the Louvre. Oh, my gosh. You know, that's so that is because to be honest with you at this point, I want to up my game. My goal is to. OK, before as just before I shut my Etsy shop down and I shut it down where I was in the top 10 percent out of one point nine million sellers. Hmm. So, I mean, I was winning. Sure. When I shut it down, but it was time to shut it down. But my last sale was to a man who's battling for stage cancer, hmm. stage four cancer. And Wait, he, do you think that's an odd time in your life to collect art? You know, maybe, maybe, and I don't really know exactly. I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying, like, I don't know if I had stage four cancer, like, buying a painting would be high on my list. Well, I wanted to cure him with that painting. Hmm. That was my goal, to, like, save his life with that painting. You know, my... I believe, like firmly, 100%, that God called me to be a painter. And there was a time I was at Marywood. I was doing an icon painting retreat. It was the first or second day, and we would be there all day, like, you know, eight hours. And so we would have lunch together. And I'm on the way to the cafeteria. I'm talking to this dude named, a priest named Father Rock, who was a priest in Sparta. And we're walking down the hallway to the cafeteria, and there was paintings that the, Peter, who was leading the retreat, had brought samples of his work. And I see this painting of Mary cradling Jesus, and he's dead in his grave, you know, linens. Mm-hmm. And I see this painting, and it was like this big camera shutter opens up just for a second, and I got hit. Like, I just started weeping, like, immediately. It wasn't, like, gradual. It was immediately, almost mm-hmm. like getting that black eye in a different way. Sure. I almost fell because my knees went weak. And Father Rock kind of gave me space. And I pulled myself together. I sat my butt down in a little enclosed garden. And I was like, what in the fuck just happened to me? What was that? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I didn't hear a voice, but I feel like God's been answering that that became a reference point, and it was, Rick, this isn't about you making decoration. Mm-hmm. This is about you making the wardrobe and the line in which the wardrobe. You're making the wardrobe. You're making the ring and, and the Tolkien, you know. You, you know, this is a mystic portal. So when people take my painting into their home, it's the Trojan horse. And in the middle of the night, the soldiers come out. Mm-hmm. It's not just a decoration. This is to save your life. And for me to, to take it to that level, it's going to 
take everything I've got. So that's why I stopped doing music. That's why I got rid of, of the lion's share of my work because it's like, okay, we've got 400 girls in here. Mm. Which ones are the supermodels? I'm sorry. We, you know, my best friend right now is Wilson. It's a basketball. Today I shot 36% out of 100. 36 baskets, swishes, not the backboard. And I love Wilson because Wilson doesn't mess around. Doesn't like, oh, I'm going to go in to make you feel good. It's either in or mm -hmm. out. Right. You know, and that's, that's what I want you, in my life right now. Where do you now. play basketball, right? <laughs> in the basketball court in Heartside Park, which right. is just five-minute walk from my, yeah. my apartment. All right. And I just shoot free throws. That's last, all I do. Last question. Yeah. About your art. Mm -hmm. And I'll move on about the art you oh destroyed. Oh, my gosh. Why, uh, why not just lock that in a storage bin and decide later? Like, that's <clears> such <throat> a, yeah, again, maybe, maybe the answer is the same. But I guess uh, my question is, the only option for you was to destroy it. So yeah. you didn't think about, like, oh, well, what if I just locked it away and never no, looked at it? Yeah, I thought of it. I thought about another way of thinking it out besides Noah's Ark is Cortez, you know, the story of Cortez, the, the ship. You know, they land on the shore, and then he puts a torch to the ship, and all the sailors are watching it burn. They realize, oh, my God, it's just going forward from here. There's no going back. So that was a way for me to say we're going forward. I mean, it was dramatic. And, you know, five years from now, maybe I'll be, oh, is that like, you know, is that a good thing to do? You know, I mean... What's uh, kind of interesting about conversations now is the, the buzzword of like just talking about seasons, you know, mm -hmm. seasons in your life. Yeah. I do that. I, I mean, I, I do think of things that way, and I almost say that, although I kind of don't like that phrase now just because it's sort of seasons. It's like, oh, I'm in a, you're in a particular season. Yes. And I don't know what it is about that. It resonates with me, but I also dislike the term. Not for what it represents or anything, because yeah. I'm on board with, like, yeah, you're in a period. But, like, I think you just... Uh, now, as I'm listening to your explanation of why you would destroy your artwork, the um, vast majority of it is, well, that's, that's work I created within a specific time. Mm -hmm. It's gone. I'm mm -hmm. going to make lots more. Mm -hmm. I've got my full, my foot is through the floor with, on the accelerator yep. to, to do something bold. Exactly. And grow yeah. and expand. Yeah. Yeah. So with all that you've been through in the last 10 years, mm -hmm. um, how are you, how does that inform your work now? Like, I mean, how are, how are you painting portraits? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a great question. And I, you know, I think I've been thinking about Thomas Edison because, um, well, you know, Thomas Edison didn't like, oh, it's my bedtime, 10 o'clock, and then wake up at Thomas Edison, Tom, he slept when he was tired. Mm-hmm. And then he worked, and he worked feverishly. And then when he got tired, he just slept wherever he was. Elon Musk, he sleeps on couches, man. Mm -hmm. Isn't it like some beautiful king said? He sleeps on couches, like one of the richest dudes in the world. And <clears throat> so, you know, what I'm doing now is I, I took a hard look at, like, Rick, what do you do best? And it is these odd sort of enigmatic portraits that mm -hmm. imply this sort of narrative, but we're not quite sure. And there's kind of something sexual, but it's, it's, it's understated, which makes it even a little bit kinkier, you know, and, uh, or puritanical. And, um, it's puritanical and kinky. Yes. At the same time. I know, oh is that God. possible? I think that's you in a sense. <laughs> I know, it 
It's me. It is, it is me. Okay. So right now, like Thomas Edison, what I learned about him was that <clears throat> he was he kept perfecting things. It wasn't like I'm gonna just do the light bulb or you know, he he perfected the telegraph, he perfected the light, you know, he kept at it and to make this perfect. And so right now what I'm doing down is really I like brought it down to a laser point. And I've got four eight by ten gold leaf frames with eight uh, and, and eight by ten panels slip in there. And I'm just, that's all that's going to Paris are these eight by 10 paintings. And I keep working on them and working on them, making as good as I can make them. And then I go back and spending this kind of time of, you know, I want to paint the Mona Lisa, you know? <laughs> that's what I want to do. And uh, so it is this sort of like, um, kind of, yeah, I feel like I'm cutting a diamond. That's kind of where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. It's like cutting diamonds where there's this uh, Edward Hopper, who I love. I don't know if you're yeah, familiar with Hopper. him, but yeah. one of the things they say about Hopper towards the end is he spent a lot more time just looking, mm -hmm. thinking, than painting. Yeah. Do you like Andrew Wythe? Yeah, of course. Yeah. He's my favorite painter. I was really? just in Maine. Yeah. Um, where he worked lived his whole life but there was something so palpable in how he reflected that particular region of the country oh, yeah. in the color palette and the brownish creamy tones that he mm -hmm. used on painting mm -hmm. but how he painted people that were just in these small main towns that he encountered neighbors workers that came to his home it was amazing yeah he had an incredible seen that, level of skill have you seen that documentary about him on no. it's on amazon mm -hmm. prime you, you know, his, his father was a famous illustrator, N.C. Wyeth. Yeah. And so it was a whole And then Jamie Wyeth, his son, mm -hmm. who um, did this famous portrait of Andy Warhol. So it was yeah. like a whole family kind of dynasty. There. Yeah. But Andrew, for me, was much different. I mean, he had his own voice. I, I think he became so prolific and famous and wealthy, mm -hmm. but didn't change in that. Like, he still lived there. But yeah. my point was uh, bringing him up was... Um, just his portraits resonate with me, and mm. my favorite painting in the world is Christina's World. Oh, yeah. And um, that's one that buckled me. Just going back to what you said earlier yeah. about seeing that yeah. at, at uh, St. Mary, Marywood. That was one that well, I saw that at moment. Well, I knew it from textbooks, right. but I hadn't, um, I hadn't seen it in person. Right. And I turned the corner at moments in this unassuming like hallway. Right down at the end. Mm -hmm. It almost looks like you're going to go to a fire exit. Mm -hmm. Like it's just there. Nothing else grand around it. Mm -hmm. And it just broke me down right there in New York City at MoMA in the corner. I was like, oh. It was amazing. You know, she was crippled, right? Yeah. Well, that's why it spoke to me. You know, so right. that's why it broke me. But, right. but that was great. That was cathartic. And I also knew the power. Like, you don't often encounter that. <clears throat> so you had that experience. I've had experiences where, you know, you're one way up your whole life up to one second or, you know, up to that moment, you're yeah. one way and then yeah. something happens. And then after that, you're like uh, another portal opens. Yeah. Yeah. You're just changed. And that's a really interesting thing, how you can change in an instant, in a sense, because we don't think of it like that, because most of our, you know, experience is, you know, these little incremental Mm -hmm. things uh, like 
you know, me getting better at shooting those baskets, I started off at about six to seven percent. Yeah. This morning when I shot 36, my record is 38 percent. That's getting towards NBA. I mean, my goal. I mean, Wilt. Uh, Wilt I gotta. You gotta hit pause on that. Wilt Chamberlain, <laughs> the worst free throw thrower. I think his average was 54 percent. But he wasn't put on a court to shoot free throws. He was put on the court to dominate the center and dunk. And uh, you know about basketball. Things. I don't really know about basketball, well, but I, mean, I do know about, yeah. if you keep. This is the thing I think for me is, I, and I'm, I've never been that interested in professional sports, but as I look at high achievers and I start to study like what, how do really super uber successful people become that, yeah. there's this level of self-discipline and determination and grit right, and, and a focus. Without that, question, yeah. I think that defines anybody. That's why like even comics come out of this chaos. You yeah, know, they process it that way. Painters come out of that. Um, yeah, actors, actresses somehow have something in them that is so deep and sort of undescribable that it manifests itself in these amazing performances, whether it's paint on canvas or right. sculpture or right. But um, well, like the tragedy of Jim Carrey's family ending up homeless, you know, and his right. dad a failed accountant, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean. That became his, you know, thing to overcome, which dr became the engine, I'm guessing, of his, in a sure. sense, his, what dr brought him to the level that we know and love. Yeah, and being weird and isolated, and that he could work for hours in a mirror on faces and impressions as right. a 15, 16-year-old, 18-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. You know, I don't want that. I don't want the pain. I want the brilliance, but I don't want the pain. You've you know? already had the pain, Ryan. You've had the pain. You've had the pain. I know your story. Oh, I think everybody has. Yeah, I think, but, you know, I think starting to make friends with it in a way, not in a sadomasochistic way, like, oh, that was fun. I'm going to go shoot. No, you don't up. want more, but there's something that tempers you yeah. and makes you stronger. Right. I mean, when I'm, I mean, part of my painting process is sanding and, and using um, steel wool. And I'm, and this is even like when it's starting to look finished, like the painting is getting into that jewel quality and I'll take the sandpaper or razor blades and scrape through it and it, you know, somebody sitting next next to me would be like, oh, my God, like, you just ruined it. It's like, yeah, well, well, hold on. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, for me, that's the metaphor of what we're talking about in terms of the suffering of hardship, trials. I mean, that that's going to happen anyway. Why not make it work for you? No, I 100% agree. I think... I've said it a couple times on this podcast because it's happened to me and it's happened to people in my family and it's like, but it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. It doesn't, life doesn't care how much money you have, success. Yeah. I mean, at some point it's going to get around, life will get around to just smacking you in the mouth or the eye or yes. whatever. <laughs> but it's true. There's something metaphorical about that. Like no one's immune from, you know, the shit that's going to get tossed in, in a moment. And well, you have to battle through it. And maybe all books are like that. Maybe all books are like that, which is why books are in my paintings a lot. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like yeah, books, books, story is um, what I feed on. You know, mm -hmm. they inspire me. They get me excited. Um, and birds in flight. So there's books, birds... Yeah, and butterflies. Mm -hmm. 
and those things. So if yeah. is that something Clocks you often and shells. you you often articulate why those are are you know people you will ask to. me a lot of times and what happens with artists as we mature as we develop an, a sort of a um, inventory of symbols a uh, um, vocabulary a personal kind of vocabulary of symbols and you see that with you know. Um, Picasso, you know, Picasso loved the self-portrait and he loved the, the um, femme fatale, you know, the, you know, his girlfriends that became his muses. And those were things he kept returning to over and over because that was part of his language of how he expressed himself to the world. And so for me, the girl with the book open, you know, that book open is... is, is a, you know, like just right now I have this painting that's like almost too sexy and it's a woman and she's got the conch shell and it's pink and it looks like her opening right mm -hmm. <laughs> her vaginal opening and and it's actually quoting a, a it's from a photograph um and I can't remember the photographer right now but I mean I lift I appropriated her photograph and I turned it into a painting because it was such a powerful image mm -hmm. of the shell in front of her face because you know the shell and I even bought an expensive pearl, $186 for this pearl from a jewelry store. So I could put it, I got an oyster at the downtown market, opened the oyster, I put this pearl that I bought for $186 into the oyster and painted it for this mermaid painting because shells and books and clocks, that's how I talk to the world. That's how I... Mm, mm -hmm. mm, Sure. <laughs> because there are times where it's like why we have musicals, you know, it's like words just aren't enough. Right. You know, it's like you need images, you need paint, you need what the magic you do with lighting, you know, with your photographs. These are not just photographs, Brian. You are also, you have found some kind of mystical magic with you and your pals here that create this well, magic. Yeah, that I appreciate you do. that. I don't, you know. Yeah, that's not flattery. No, I. Uh, that's just you. calling a spade it. a spade. <laughs> You're the one wearing black, sir. <laughs> not me. <laughs> no, uh, no, I appreciate that. I mean, it's about yeah. It is a form of expression you can't verbalize. I mean, you can't verbalize. You can't create a. You can't create a photograph or a painting with words. Right. Or, a, or, a m music without lyrics. Like I mean, that's. That's why films are so powerful, because sometimes a film isn't that great, but the score can take you to places that you never right. or the could way experience it, just by watching Or it. the way it was shot, you know. Yeah. I mean, just saw that Joker movie, I, which I had to walk out of because it was so intense. Mark just saw it. I haven't seen it yet, but oh Mark saw it, and he was like, that was intense. It, and it was so beautiful. I mean, the shots in there... Um, and it's nostalgic because it's like, what time? Is this the 70s? Is this New York in the 70s? Because, you know, it's always, right. it's like New York City. Sure. Even though it's whatever that that comic book city is. Yeah, I forget. for sure. Um, but yeah, it's these, this, the language that I have created is my language. And it's what makes my paintings not like anybody else's. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to happen more and more as I procure and as I 
zone in on who I am and what my work is here to do. I'm not Baltus, I'm not Picasso, I'm not Andrew Wyeth, I'm Rick Beerhorst, I'm the only one that ever existed and ever will exist, and I want to open that oyster, as many as I have to, to find that pearl. That's my goal, mm-hmm. is to find the pearl. Well, I think you've painted lots of pearls already. <laughs> I mean, you have. There's Thank some you. amazing, iconic work that you have and created, and uh, this, this. Well, I'm excited about what you're what you're gonna end up with Me five too. years from now. You know? Mine too. And my 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 notion that I have someday what I want to do. And I don't like the word someday because someday is like basically saying never. So this is what I want to do when I can afford to hire you because I'm gonna create massive wealth. That's my other thing. We have well, that's the other podcast. Really? Yeah, massive wealth. Is I want to do a project with you where you. And I create Wait, photographs yeah, together and that become paintings. So you messaged me. We never, so let's just have that conversation now because you messaged me, I don't know, a month ago about mm-hmm. something. And we were mm-hmm. like, hey, mm-hmm. I want to meet with you about something. A collaboration. Yeah. And I was I like, okay, cool. I want to collaborate with you. And then I think I went out of town for, I went, yeah, I went out of town. And because like, your, well, your photographs so, are so much like paintings. And my paintings, like, I have become more and more friends with the camera. I use the camera too. Sure. And, you know, part of, me accumulating wealth is to be able to hire professional models, professional pho- pho- photographers. Is that how you say it? photographers? <laughs> but I really want to create that partnership, and I've I've loved you for so long. You're you're one of the people that I get excited when I'm around you, and so at some point I want to create some body of work where we're collaborating together. And it's not commercial. It's like fine art, like drop dead gorgeous fine art mm-hmm. that um, museums are lining up to get a hold of. And it's something you and I did together. Hmm. That's a bold swing, my friend. I know. I'm you in that it, zone. You just, you just put it out in the ether. <laughs> museums will line up. Yes, yes. <laughs> Well, if I get to come to Paris, that, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind failing in Paris. That wouldn't be bad. It's a great city to fail in. Fail, you know. There's always croissants, you know. There's always croissants, and the ones with chocolate in them. (laughs) It is. Uh, All right, so we'll fail in Paris together. Because that's one of the things I did learn doing music is, you know, and you've, you've created a team here, is when you bring other people into your venture that can do things that you can't do, sure. you sort of amp up everything and you start coming into that, you know. Yeah, I've become more, as I've, things have gotten, uh, as a photographer, I learned a lot from making video, though, like how to collaborate more. Mm-hmm. Because you can't do video well or make films or whatever it is by yourself. Right. You know, not very well. Right. And photography, as things have gotten more complicated with lighting and how I want to shape light, you know, I need hands and eyes. And Mark has played roles. I've had other people over the years play roles where I trust their eye and they can speak directly to, like, hey, I think you should do this. Right. And I don't have an ego enough to go... Don't tell me what to do. You know, I mean, I listen, and many times it's right because they've also worked. They know me, and it's yeah. not like it's not yeah. like they're trying to do the work. They know my work to help me. So right. that sort of helpers—that's a—I hate that word, but that that uh, that that generosity of mm-hmm. saying, okay, I can make, I think I can help this person who's already quite accomplished at what they're doing. If 
I'm seeing something that might even make it better and give that. So there's yeah. that exchange of like yeah. humility. Well, I, you know, I tell people, well, this is one of the things I found myself saying repeatedly is imagine that that day that Paul McCartney and John Lennon met. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, hey, you, you're listening to Chuck Berry too? You know, he sees that record under his or however it came down. Yeah. And they didn't know. They didn't know they were going to change the world. They didn't know people were going to be still covering right. and singing those songs 50, 60 years later. You know, and so I'm always looking for that Paul McCartney to my John Lennon. I mean, every, all, every day. And <clears throat> I think those are rare moments, but I've also had tastes of that when that has happened. And, you know, the relation, like relationship, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, I know there's a time for isolation. There's a time to make your chrysalis. There's a time to cut your way out of there too and start flying around mm -hmm. and, and, and gathering nectar and pollen, you know? Yeah. So, and, and I think a lot of that does happen in these um, special relationships that happen, you know, that, and if you pay attention and you can cultivate them um, and have the, you know, humility to set your ego aside to some degree, you mm -hmm. know, some healthy way. Yeah, some incredible stuff happens. So going back to building wealth, what is it outside of being able to do grand collaborations with people? What is it about wealth? I mean, I don't think, a, and I'm not arguing with your mm -hmm. premise. I'm just mm -hmm. saying, like, people like Robbins and Tony Robbins and some other people, like, it can be the, the result of something that you're doing or it can be the goal. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how that exists necessarily. Like artists, most of the time when they're wealthy, it's kind of an accident of, of, of great timing, of being in the right moment at the right time. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much, personally, I'm just wondering how would how, how I do that? Yeah, of course. And I don't know how to do that outside of uh, creating work that the goal, or having the goal of financial wealth. Mm-hmm versus but I also am stuck because I like you you're not helpless you don't have to wait for it to come you can make it take yeah, action yeah. and do things that yeah. move you forward but I don't know well there's I just so want to probe that side of your yeah, mind well I'm I'm, I'm I'm obsessed with it right now so yeah. you know I, I focus I learn just like I'm learning to do free throws now now I'm focused on how to uh, very wealthy people build wealth I mean I uh, you know and I've bumped into some billionaires who have you know, collected my work, and it's a different kind of person, you know, and, um, and, I'm, and I got to the point, like, I'm curious how that happens. How do you become a billionaire? When I, my very first song I wrote when I was about eight years old was Millionaire Rick, mm -hmm. he's got millions, Millionaire Rick, mm -hmm. money, money everywhere. It was just like this little silly thing I did, but it was like, what was that about, you know? Yeah. What was it, some very, um, uh, some foreshadowing. So anyway, um, as I start to study it, I'm realizing so much of it is an inside game, like so many things. It's about mindset. And so much of my mindset has been in the past has been a poverty mindset because it's what I inherited. Um, even though my parents were like middle class, it wasn't like that kind of poverty we think of. But, you know, my dad was a wage earner and they, they, it was very humble aspirations and we never talked about money, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what poor people do. They don't talk about it. And it's, we say things like how the other half lives. Well, that's a chasm. I mean, evil can evil maybe can get over that, but you're not going to get over that. But if you start to, 
you start to look into affluent people and how, I, I was listening to Donald Trump, and I know that's like evil, but see, I was listening see to- See what just happened? I know. I was listening to his book that he published a while back, and I'm like, wow, he knows a lot about real estate that he learned from his dad, Fred. Like, you can say people don't like him president, but he got really good at creating wealth. And um, also, uh, you know, somebody like Tony Robbins, who I'm reading, I'm working through his book right now, Winning at the Money Game. Tony has accumulated a lot of really um, wise uh, experience. He's got a lot of experience about now he flies around his own planes and he owns multiple homes but he's incredibly generous and he's helping a lot of people. So for me, you know, who 14 years ago, I was in a dumpster behind Aldi's to feed those six kids. And I was in that dumpster and I, I'm like coming home smelling like garbage. And I got to the point where it's like, what in the world am I doing? Like, how did I end up here? And I just decided I never wanted to be a dumpster again. I hired my first coach. He said, how much money do you want to make mm -hmm. next year? And I never had even had that question asked me before. I said $100,000, and two years later, I hit that mark. You know, when well, Jim well, Carrey wrote a check for himself for ten grand, or excuse me, $10 million, three and a half years later, he's in Dumb and Dumber, and he gets a check for $10 million. Mm -hmm. So these sorts of things, you start to see how this works, and you go, well, well I want to underscore something because I know it as part of your history, but I don't mm -hmm. uh, for our audience. I mean, uh, you mentioned that you... I mean, I remember we have a mutual friend. You would borrow his minivan so you could yeah. go into dumpsters yeah. and find things yeah. for your family. Yeah, and that's how, yeah, how hard it was. It was hard. I remember one night we're a cop. He stopped me, and I was with you know a couple of our you know punk you know young people that were living with us, maybe a daughter or two, and a cop you know comes over. Hey, what are you doing? I see your driver's license, and you know, that's not your van. Yeah, I borrowed this from my friend. And then he goes off. Fifteen minutes later, the cop comes back, rolls his window down. He opens his billfold and gives me $20. And he says, Happy New Year. And I'm like, God help me. Like, this has got to change. You know, it's like the fat guy at getting to the top of the stairs. <sighs> Man, I don't want to have a heart attack like my dad. I'm going to find out how to get rid of this extra weight. You know, it was, that was my, you know, it was my, like you said, like in, sometimes it's an instant. Right. You know, I got to change this. So now I've opened this thing up and now it's just like, well, what would it look like, you know, to have a life where I've created a money machine, you know, through mm -hmm. my investments that I can create this kind of, affluence so that I can say to my kids, hey, you know, let's do Paris together next year, and I buy them all plane fare, because mm -hmm. they're not going to do that on their own right now, you know? Sure. Like, I want to be able to do things like that, Brian, mm -hmm. and to be able to do those kind of things, you have to have the financial muscle or to be able to plug into that currency in a way that at this point I can't. So having that kind of vision, how do I get there, how have other people done it, I'm, you know, I will do do what they do. You know, find a mentor, find a model, do what, do what they did. Well, and I think it's good for art. I think it's, <clears throat> my takeaway is still that you, uh, a lot of artists are, uh, like, 
how they create a business or create value or assign a value to their work mm -hmm. is the hardest thing that we do. Like, how do I know if you're painting, like, how do you know if your painting is worth $500 or $50,000 or $500,000? You know, and a lot of it's a mystery, you know, like you don't know, but like, but, but my point is, is that you're thinking in ways that are smart around finances and also creating goals. I think every artist should have goals and they should have financial goals too. Yeah, but they, they're, they were taught, you know, we went to art school and all their mentors were academics who got paychecks. Yeah, don't and, get me started on that. <laughs> you know, and my my grandfather was an entrepreneur. We had, you know, Beer Horse and Sons Tula Bulb uh, company. And my great grandfather, you know, started the company. And he, you know, at one point was on a hillside taking care of sheep and knitting socks, hmm. you know. And so... You know, he left his country at 18 and walked from Westphalia to the Netherlands and, you know, went through all kinds of crazy shit to build that company. So I know it's in my DNA. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I had to root around. And that's part of my going back to Germany. It's like, what is my story? Who am I? Right. You know, and, and hooking back into those roots to where I'm at the like, okay, if it means, you know, destroying this work or if it means reading I, I mean, right now I'm reading three hours a day. You know why I'm reading three hours a day? Because Warren Buffett reads three hours a day. Bill Gates reads about three hours a day. They both love books, and they're both curious. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. Elon Musk, kids made fun of him. One, because he had that weird name, Elon. What kind of name is Elon? And he always had a book in his hand, which was not cool. It was not cool. I mean, the cool kids could throw a baseball really fast, but Elon was just like reading all the time. Look who's laughing now, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, I'm reading, I'm, I'm just devouring. And right now, yeah, it's like money matters because it's like, you know, I know a guy who's, you know, dutifully being money's taken away from his paycheck at the place he works, put in a 401k. So he's getting real close to retirement. He sits down with his financial officer and he's like, mm, gosh, not a lot here. Like, you, you don't have enough to retire and have anything close to, you know, your current lifestyle. Because most 401ks is dying by a thousand cuts. There's all these hidden fees. But my friend didn't know that. He didn't know anything about it. It was just 401k, you know. It's like, so when you don't know, you, you're taken advantage of. And it, it's like the Wolf of Wall Street, you know. It's like mm -hmm. people can hate that guy. But all the dumbasses that signed up and signed away their life savings that should have known better, you know, should have investigated it. So, you know, I just did a, so I sell them things on Craigslist because I'm getting ready to go. And there's a scam all the time that happens, it happens to me all the time. And where the, so I had my car up for sale and they say, okay, the, how much do you want? Is that your firmest price? I said, well, I might go down to here. Okay, that seems like a fair price. I'm going to, um, I have a moving company. You write the check and dot it. And I say, you stupid fuck. You know, <laughs> why don't you write that check to go fuck yourself? That's what my text is now. Because I hate these guys. It's like, get a real job. Stop trying to rob people. But that's the world. And that's the wolf. It's like, you know, I'm doing a painting, well, Little Red Riding it, Hood. It's like yeah. there's a wolf that's going to try to eat her. That's life, buddy. Well, and those Craigslist scammers, you know, I mean, if they were never successful, it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't exist anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> because you know, yeah, no yeah, one ever it, fell for it. But yeah. you know, we're we're gullible. Well, well hopefully uh, less gullible than we were yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, uh, I'd like to get to Paris and see how you're doing at some point. That'd be cool. I would On like my that. way to Madrid, because I, you know, <laughs> if I had to pick, it wouldn't be Paris. But a lot tempting. of people in Germany talk about Spain like that's the coolest place. A lot to go. of Germans are a lot of expats down there. They vacation down there. All Germany, the time. Germans, Germans like Spain. I, I'm not a. I have to go and get a taste for it. Maybe yeah. I really dig Spain. I, I I'm starting to learn to tango. So nice. Yeah. Well, you're halfway there. Yeah. Then you'll be doing the flamenco. Yeah. Crazy. Well, thanks for coming in. Was there anything that we didn't cover that you thought we would talk about or wanted to talk about? I have no idea. We didn't talk about it. We didn't tee up anything in terms of like, I, want I love this conversation. I like you. I like what you're doing. And um, yeah, I'm so honored to be, you know, one of your guests. And um, I can't, can't wait to <laughs> I'm see. I'm so choked up. I'm actually coughing. <laughs> I can't wait to see no. what you edit this down to. There will be a lot of editing. Videos will have to be excerpted, but yeah. uh, the audio is going to go up pretty okay. much as it is. Okay. But um, I love your work. I look at it a lot, and, yeah. it, and it helps me. It helps me think about portraiture differently. And I admire your um, your focus right now. So Thank I've you, always Brian. been uh, uh, cheering you on, you know, and well. hoping for that ultimate success. Will you ever be satisfied either with your work? Here's a great artist question before we put it out, before we put the, the candle out on this conversation. Are you ever going to be satisfied with your work as an artist? You know, there's an interesting thing that has, and this has been happening for years. Um, so it's, you know, when I'm starting a piece and I'm working on it and I'm, it's the beginning, you know, and it's just, it just doesn't look that good. You know, because my, my paintings happen in stages. And that's a hard place to be where it just looks kind of shitty and under uncooked. You know, it's like um, bread taken out of the oven too soon. But then there's this place where I find myself looking at the painting and then like I go to brush my teeth and I'm like, I want to go back and take another look. And then all of a sudden, like I realize I've been staring at this painting for maybe 15 to 20 minutes, just staring. It's got me. Mm -hmm. I heard once an artist say, you know, it's kind of like those hobos where they're running alongside the train, they're running alongside the train and the doors open and then they finally jump on and now they're not running anymore. It's just they're riding. They're mm -hmm. in the boxcar and they're yeah. just taking them. That happens and it happens enough times to keep me going. So the answer is, yeah, yeah, I get satisfied. I get, you know, it's fleeting, you know. Yeah. But there are moments, yeah. Yeah. I feel the same. I don't want to ever get to a point where I'm repeating things over and over. I mean, I still want to, I still, there's still all kinds of doubt in terms of like, you know, well, this is a whole nother, we'll have to pause that for part two, but it's like, uh, you know, it's such a, being an artist is, is very much like, you know, you saying what you do is important. People should take it in and do that. And so that's hard for me to like wrap around that in terms of mm. like a what I do is important or whatever. I think what I do is well executed, but I don't ever get satisfied like from a like okay, that's like I there's always another level of creativity and surprise that I want to 
like we did some shoot our shoot today like i've never shot anybody quite like we did today and i'm excited to share them on our brian to be honest with you i think and i'm not fucking with you right now i think you're just getting started you're just getting no i feel that way that's my point is like i think you feel that now i do do, do, like you're how old are you now 59 59 so to have this energy around this and know that you're you're you are you've burned the ship on the shore and you're gonna you know what I mean like yeah to pull that out again yeah. is amazing to see and I, I also feel that way like I don't feel like I'm I'm really hungry. There's and a great story about Diego Rivera where his plasterer. So he's doing fresco, and when you're doing fresco, you got a team of plasters, and you've got a window because that plaster gets too too dry you can't paint on it anymore it's it's wet and you're doing the fresco so they've got the front it's all ready so they go tell them the master it's ready and Diego goes yeah I'll be there and he's like reading the funny papers you know he loved cartoons mm-hmm. an hour two hours go by and they're, they're getting nervous it's like hey it's ready yeah I'll be there and then now it's like that window of him to work on it. and that means if it's too dry that means they're gonna have to hack it all out a lot of elbow grease and start all over again. And finally, this master plaster is almost in tears. Diego, why do you do this to us? He says, because it's too easy. Hmm. It's too easy. And Grand Rapids has gotten too easy for me, Brian. Hmm. I need a challenge. And I think Paris is going to be a hell of a challenge. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right. But I think, you know, it's going to be an amazing thing to take in. I think so, too. All right, buddy. Thanks All for right. coming in. I You're appreciate welcome. it. You bet. Well, that was a unique episode. Uh, Rick is one of the most unique people I've ever met. And um, his uh, passion, his drive is certainly contagious. And um, as we uh, wrap this episode, he is in Paris. He is painting um, and uh, getting to know the city. I don't think he's been there much more than a a week or two. And um, it'll be very interesting to see this year in 2020 um, the trajectory he takes uh, over the next 12 months. So um, speaking of creativity and uh, things, I really, really enjoyed the portraits we made of Rick um, just before we sat down and had this conversation. And I'd love for you to see them. And the easiest way for you to see them is to go to the fullexposurepodcast.com website and you'll see Rick Beerhorse dedicated episode page. Click on that, uh, click on his portrait, and then you'll see more portraits I took of Rick. You can stream again this uh, audio of uh, the entire conversation. You'll also see video excerpts of our conversation in the studio. So again, the website is the perfect place for one-stop shopping for our multimedia podcast. You'll see the audio, the portraits, the video excerpts, and um, share it with people. Subscribe to iTunes or, uh, sorry, it's not iTunes anymore, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. We're on every platform, I think, almost. Please share this with us. Uh, Give us some feedback on this episode. I'd love to hear what you thought of this conversation with Rick. And um, the best thing you can do to help us grow is just to share and tell a friend about Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. Have a great week, everybody. Let's go get it.
This Full Exposure podcast episode has been made possible through the support of Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn, who believe that creativity and the arts are essential to a rich, healthy, and fulfilling life. Thank you.